Good morning, good morning. My name is Sam Andreatis. I'm, I'm an assistant here. And uh, we're going to talk today about pleasure. You know, uh, we have a lot of things going on in our lives. There might be troubles that you have and trials, but it's still summertime. And summer is a time of kind of in more intensified pleasures, wouldn't you say? It's a time of good, 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 good vibrations. So what we need as Christians is, I think, a thoroughly and completely Christian view of pleasure in our lives. So I didn't want the summer to go by without at least one sermon that addressed God's role and what he thinks about pleasure in our lives. And we're going to look at it this morning through Psalm 16. Please stand with me if you can. We are going to be looking at, I'm going to be reading from the NAS version of Psalm 16. I'm going to read the whole psalm for us. Protect me, God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good besides you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones. All my delight is in them. The pains of those who have acquired another God will be multiplied. I will not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The measuring lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, my inheritance is beautiful to me. I will bless the Lord who has advised me. Indeed, my, night, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Forever. Forever. Let me tell you something about God. He is deeply into pleasure. He is deeply into pleasure. That's not something you might think about, but it's something that the psalmist is saying. If you just concentrate on that last line where he says, there are pleasures in thy right hand forever, forever. It's something that's reiterated in the New Testament in places like the letter to Timothy. When Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he says, you know, there are things that are good. Everything that God has created is good. They're just so good, and they are to be received with thanksgiving. Right? Or James, in his first chapter of his letter, when James says, Every good gift, every perfect present. There are these good gifts. There are these perfect presents. And they all come down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation right, or shadow due to change. They're talking about the same thing. And this is the Christian view that God has given us pleasures to enjoy. And they're good things in our lives. Unlike Eastern religions, if you decide you want to go into Buddhism or you want to be a, become a Hindu, 
in the kind of monistic traditions, religious traditions, pleasure and earthly delights are things that you need to get past, right? If you've ever studied Buddhism, pleasure is something that, that's a kind of hindrance to your spirituality. If you want to become spiritually mature, you got to get past the earthly delights. You got to go, go kind of graduate from them because they weigh you down. So the more spiritually mature you are, the more you leave the things of this earth and the delights of this earth, not in Christianity. No, in Christianity, actually, these things are things that God has given us to enjoy. Actually, the more mature you are as a Christian, the more deeply you experience the things that God has given us, these experiences of pleasure. You know, we'll go with, uh, with C.S. Lewis screw tape letters since Craig brought it up. And, and we'll look at a section there because uh, Lewis gets, a, gets this very well when, when he has screw tape instructing Wormwood, the junior devil. And there's one part where he, is, he has this problem because God has created so many pleasures in this life. And he's trying to get his subject away from God. This is the way he puts it. Again, from the screw tape letters. Quote, this is, this is screw tape talking. All those feasts, all those fasts, excuse me, all those fasts and vigils and crosses are only a facade. We're only like foam on the seashore. Out at sea, out in his sea, there is pleasure and more pleasure. He makes no secret of it. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Ugh! He has filled his world with pleasures. Everything has to be twisted before it's any use to us. He's vulgar, Wormwood. He has a bourgeois mind. <laughs> Unquote. So you see, Wormwood doing an exegesis here of this psalm. He's right. He's saying God is so caught up. He has so many pleasures. He multiplies for them. It makes our work difficult. He is deeply into pleasure. He loves it. And he loves doling it out. Just think about this. If you get to the beach this summer, that first feeling, that first feeling when you put your foot on the sand of the beach, right, and it's not too hot, right, that feeling of sand between your toes, just think about that. There's no feeling like that in the world, is there? Who gave you that? Where did that come from? You know, I'll tell you something about me, as long as we're on touch. Um, it's kind of embarrassing. It's kind of embarrassing to talk about this. Nobody really knows this except my wife. But I'll tell you, I just love, 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 love to have my back scratched. Okay, now you know. So it's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but it feels so good. I love, I'm like Blue Bear. Remember Blue Bear in the Jungle Book? He would sing songs about having his back scratched. That's me, okay? I'm Blue Bear. And it's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but it feels just so good. I have such pleasure from that. My wife knows that. She wants to give me pleasure. She scratches my back. You know? Think about your memories. Think about the things that really stay with you in life. I'll tell you one memory, very deep memory I have. I'll never forget. When I was in college, a group of us went uh, driving off to this uh, small mountain in Connecticut, and we were walking through the woods, and we came upon this stream. It was just a stream, but it was a really hot day. It was a bubbling, babbling brook, and uh, there was a place in the stream where uh, the rocks had just formed like a recliner, 
Like you could sit in the stream. I sat down in the stream, and moss had grown over the rocks so that it was actually comfortable. It was this soft place in the stream. I sat there. The water was going over me, and I thought, I am never leaving this place again. I thought it was in paradise. It was really hot out. And so I was like, this is it. I've stopped. My life is over. It felt so good, the pleasure of it. I don't know if you've ever had experiences like that. At a certain point, my friends wanted to leave, and they were like, oh, I'm sorry. We have to go back now. We have to drive back to campus. I was, I was like, no, I'm sorry. I'm staying here. I begged them to leave without me just for the pleasure, and they did, actually. Uh, I was stuck there. I didn't care. I just didn't care. After a while, I, you know, I stayed in there a long time. My skin got really, really wrinkly. I finally climbed out onto this bed of moss, this dry bed of moss next to it, and just fell asleep. And that was so pleasurable, you know. It was another adventure getting back. But just think about those, those memories that stay with you. Where, where, where did that come from? Who gave me that? In thy right hand, says the psalmist, are pleasures forevermore. And they're multiplied. They're multiplied. How many people here have ever been to San Diego? You raise your hand. You know San Diego? Okay. What do you do in San Diego? What's that, Dave? The beach. He says the beach. Beach is a good thing. You might go to the zoo, right? If you're in San Diego, you're looking for something to do. They have that famous zoo there. Let me tell you what to do in San Diego. Tops, tops all of those things. You go to this place called Balboa Park in San Diego. It's, I think it's part of the zoo complex, actually. And uh, it's, it's unassuming. It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything. Go to Balboa Park. Go to the back of the park. The very back of Balboa Park, there's this building called the Botanical Building. And it's a very unassuming building. You would walk right by. There's no reason to go into it. I wouldn't go into it. Why would you go into a building called the Botanical Building? It sounds like the most boring thing in the world, right? But I happen to go in. And in the Botanical Building, there's this area. It's about um, 10-foot diameter circular area, and it's full of the most average to below average looking plants that you could think of. And there's a sign there that says, please touch. Isn't that interesting? And where do you ever go to someplace that actually says, please, you know, not do not touch, please touch? Because, and you actually do more than touch. It's a smelling garden. It says, take a leaf, you crush a leaf, one of the leaves of these plants, and bring it to your, bring it to your nose and just smell it. And so I did. I, I crushed the leaf, and I brought it to, to my nose, and it was bay laurel. And it was really quite a powerful smell. It was just so pleasurable. But then after bay, after bay laurel, there was Cook's apple. And then there was long chamomile. And then there was pelargonium. And each of these had a different kind of smell. to It was a different pleasure to them. Then there were all kinds of mint. There was curly mint and English mint and lime mint and mint julep. And then the, 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 most, the, the most fantastic mint of all, Swiss mint. And I smelled Swiss mint, and it was just, it was just fantastic. You know, I read somewhere that the human nose can distinguish 10,000 different smells. I read that. I don't know if that's true. 10,000? I don't know if my... I'm like, I'm not a particularly good smeller. I don't know if my nose could distinguish 10,000, but I could distinguish those different mints. 
and they were glorious. And then there were these geraniums. But it wasn't just one geranium in this little area that you would smell. There were all kinds of geraniums. Apple geranium, nutmeg geranium, canary island geranium, peacock geranium, pine geranium, red flowing rose geranium, and then the most, uh, most exquisite geranium of them all. Skeleton rose-scented geranium. Oh, man, I could still smell it. Skeleton rose-scented geranium. I smelled that, and I was, I was in a different world. And there was a milestone in my marriage at that point. Something happened in my marriage there. It never happened before. My wife and I were in a place, and she was ready to go before I was. So it never happened before in our marriage. It hasn't happened too much since then either, but... Mary Kay was like, okay, I'm ready. I've had enough. I'm going. I'm like, we, we can't go yet. We haven't smelled the lavenders. Alardia lavender, Bella lavender, sweet lavender, and the, the most subtle, the most fabulous smell, French lavender. Oh, my gosh. I was almost in tears. This French lavender, you know, from what I understand, human, the human sense of scent, the human smell, sense of smell, it's the, only, it's the only sense where your nerves are directly in contact with the open world, with the outside world. It's inside your nose, but it's, it's not mitigated by skin or anything. The nerves, there's a direct connection between the outside world and goes right to your brain. And I could feel that when I smell French lavender. It was really something. It was tremendous. Blue Spires rosemary, curry, dwarf pennyroyal. They were all different, these fabulous smells. And then I came to the most unassuming, most common-looking plant in the whole place, and it was the knockout. Because I took these little leaves, I rubbed them between my fingers, I held it up to my nose, and I smelled Artemisia Powis Castle. Artemisia Powis Castle. And at that moment, folks, I believed every fairy tale I'd ever read. I mean, I found myself, I found myself wishing I could have another daughter just so I could name her Artemisia. <laughs> Who does this? Who creates a world like this? Who gives this to us? A pleasure pleasures evermore, evermore. And you know what I've found? I've found that the more sensitive the sense, the greater the pleasure it affords. You know, Robert Laughlin, prize-winning, uh, Nobel Prize-winning physicist, in his book, A Different Universe, he writes about the advent of electron microscopy. And in electron microscopy, you're taking pictures with Electrons instead of light. And so you're, you're talking about a scale of a few hundred atoms. And Lachlan talks about this, and he says, you know, when, when, when they started taking these electron micrographs, they call them, they were these things that showed the surfaces of ordinary materials. And these ordinary materials, it's impossible to take a boring electron micrograph, he says. Like, the, yeah, here's, here's snow. Like this is a picture of the surface of snow. And he says, you know, there are things that form just on these ordinary surfaces. 
and he calls them micro-bubbles. And he says, you know, there doesn't seem to be any purpose to these things. They're just, they're just entertainment to look at, these micro-bubbles. If, I guess, you happen to have an electron microscope, you know. Who does that? It's, it's the more sensitive, the more trained the, the sense, the more pleasure it affords. So I happen to know um, this accomplished artist. His name is Makato Fujimura, actually. And one time we went to a gallery together. And it's always a treat to me to go and look at art with a real artist, you know, because you, you, I just learned so much. And he wanted to see this exhibit of this guy, uh, this artist. His name was Georges Rouault. Not somebody I knew uh, a lot about. But we went to this art exhibit, and he paints these um, kind of uh, clowns and, and, and sort of kind of kludgy paintings. Um, but we went into this gallery, and, and Mako just focused in on this one, this one painting. It was called Le, Le Dernier Romantique. And he just, he just was like fixated on it and just was like in, completely lost in it. And I went around, looked at all the different uh, pictures in the gallery. And I came back, and Mako's still staring at this one picture. And so I'm standing next to him, and, you know, I'm trying to be sophisticated. So I'm stroking my chin, and I offer some profundity. I say, it looks sad. So he, br he tolerated that comment. <laughs> he, he brushed me aside of that, went back to his raptures in this painting. And he stared at it for a long time. I stood next to him. At last, finally, he was able to say something. He pointed to the bottom right-hand corner, the bottom right-hand corner of the painting. And all he could say was, that's why I paint. <laughs> that's why I paint. <laughs> and I understood that day, the more trained the eye, the more pleasure is afforded to the eye. Who creates a world like that? Who creates a world where the more trained the sense, the more pleasure it can have? Who gives us these things? There just doesn't seem to be an end to the potential for pleasure in this life. And there are so many more, you know, that don't even have to do with our physical senses. How about the pleasure of the intellect, you know, being able to figure something out? It's kind of implied in verse 7. How about the pleasure of fellowship in verse 2 or verse 3? And, you know, it just skipped over a lot of them, right? Skipped over hearing, right? Becky, how about the pleasure of music, right? Steph, how about the pleasure of athletics? Dave, how about the pleasure of acquisition? Paul, how about a pleasure of, of an apt reply? In Proverbs, talks about that. Where do these come from? How do they come about in our lives? Well, you know, it, let's say you're here and you say, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't believe these are coming from God. And I'm not in the monistic traditions either. I'm a materialist. I'm a philosophical materialist. And all I believe is that these things were products of evolution. That is, there were some random genetic mutations 
acted on by natural selection so that there are these chemical reactions inside of us. And that's what pleasure is. That's all that pleasure is. And then you have to come up with somehow an evolutionary advantage for these pleasures. And you can. You know, sometimes they could seem to me kind of contrived when people do this. But it's like some kind of evolutionary advantage of all of these, uh, except for maybe Paul's. I can't see any, any ev evolutionary advantage for puns whatsoever. <laughs> no, but you can. You can come up with these. And, I, and I'll, I invite you to go ahead, knock yourself out, come up with these evolutionary explanations. But I'll tell you one thing. I'm going to enjoy life more than you do. Why? Because if you're a materialist, and you have to go there if you're consistent, and you're experiencing pleasure always at the back of your mind, you know there's some other reason for this pleasure. It's not for pleasure itself. It's got to, be, it's got to have a utilitarian reason for it. Whereas I, as a Christian, believe and understand that the point of pleasure, the point of God having pleasure in my life, is for pleasure itself. And that, friends, is where you really enjoy pleasure in life. That is when you can really relish the experience because you know that the experience is for the experience itself. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why? For pleasure's sake. He has given us all these pleasures to feel these pleasures. That's it. That's our God. So as I say, you come up with these other explanations... But you're always going to there. But there always going to be some other means to an end. Whereas for me, as a Christian, they're not a means to an end. They're an end in themselves. That's how we enjoy life. And there's a redundancy in the pleasure system. They're like specifically set up so that if one pleasure, maybe through a tragedy or something, has to recede, other pleasures become more prominent. That's why you know if you talk to, for example, a blind person. You'll find that blind person, uh, the person's memory is always better than yours. And this is how you raise children. You know, you have children, and um, they start to whine. They start to throw a fit. What do you do? You say to them, listen, I know that you're upset because you do not have this particular pleasure at this moment in your life. But let me tell you something. Your life is going to be so jam-packed with pleasures you don't have to whine for this one. You don't have to be so upset that you're not getting this particular one at this particular moment. You don't have to have a fit. And I don't have to feel guilty that I'm depriving you. <laughs> because I know the God that we serve, he is going to fill your life with pleasures. He has so many goods in store for you. You don't need to cry. You don't need to cry. It's like, it's like Wormwood... And screw tape were right. He's a hedonist. God is some kind of hedonist. So why is it that this seems like such a strange sermon to you? Or why is it, my non-believing friend, you have these pleasures all around you and you don't seem to be able to enjoy them? And that's really our problem. We have these pleasures, right? We can't enter into them. We can't enjoy them. It's almost like we need something more than the pleasure to enjoy the pleasures themselves. And this is what the psalmist is talking about. You know, we, um, when I was, before I was a believer, I, I had this one day, my birthday, and I was able to plan. 
and I was going to plan the perfect day. And so this was going to be my perfect day, and I filled my life with all these pleasures that I like, and that was going to be my perfect day, this birthday I planned. Well, I ended up that day in tears, I remember. I was miserable because I could set up all these pleasures, but I couldn't control the other things in my life that were making me miserable. I couldn't enjoy the pleasures. So what is it? This is what the psalmist is talking about. It's what he says in verse 4. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. In other words, when we put something besides God in front of us, it, it divides our pleasures. It attacks them. It kills our pleasures. It's in order for us to enjoy the enjoyments, we need to have God set before us. And this is what he says in, in verse 8 and verse 9, right? He says, I've set the Lord continually before me. Therefore, you see that in verse 9? Therefore, my heart is glad. Therefore, my whole self comes alive. So how is it that we set God before us? How is it that we do what, what Jonathan Edwards, the way he puts it, is religion allows us to take full comfort of our meat and drink? Well, you know, the Apostle Simon Peter in the New Testament, he actually quotes this psalm. And he does it in Acts chapter 2. He quotes the part and he says, you know that part of Psalm 16 where it says, he won't let his godly one see the pit. He won't let his, uh, let his one, his righteous one see destruction. Or he won't let his godly one see the pit. He said, you know, that's really talking about Jesus Christ. He's talking about Jesus Christ there. And he's talking about his resurrection from the dead. You see what Peter is saying? What Peter is saying is you really can't understand this psalm without Jesus Christ and his resurrection. You really can't because it's his resurrection from the dead that brings us the ability to enjoy the pleasures that he's created. Because he forewent pleasures, the he went through the opposite of pleasure, the death, the antithesis of feeling pleasure. When he rose from the dead, he could bring us with him to new life and we could, we could have the life that allows us to feel the pleasures. As the Pitt, um, F.W. Pitt hymn says, because he lives, so shall I. Because he rose, we are free to live. And so he has done this so that we can now, entering into his resurrection, be able to enjoy the pleasures that he's given us and enjoy them deeply. And that is the way that we enjoy life. And I'll tell you something. I've been a Christian now for over four decades. There's one thing I can tell you being a Christian has done. It has made me much more content a person. Much more a person who is able to sit in that stream and relish the pleasure and enjoy the pleasure and realize that those things, that that last verse of that psalm is true. So that we can today say with full conviction just what the psalmist says. 
In thy presence, there's a fullness of joy. In thy right hand, there are pleasures forever. That's how to do summer. Amen. Amen.